0: This is Sean Thomas Radcliffe. Welcome to another episode of Preservation Oaks. In this series, we introduce you to professionals from museums, cultural, genealogical, and historical societies across the United States. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the program. Hey everyone. This is Sean Radcliffe coming to you from Salt Lake City, and this is Preservation Oaks, the internationally syndicated original talk program on MicroStream Radio, where we feature interviews with professionals from museums, cultural and heritage institutions, historical and genealogical societies across the United States. Our main platform is preservationoaks.podbean.com. But we're also on almost every podcast platform, as well as YouTube and Odyssey. So wherever you listen to the program, I appreciate it very much when you like, comment, follow, or subscribe. We give people a better understanding of these organizations. We let them know how they're supported, how each is unique to the communities they serve, what programs and events they currently have underway, and what services they offer to the public and their members. We believe this information is vital for people to know how to work with these organizations and how important it is to join, support, volunteer with, and donate to one or more of these core societies. Remember that your donations are tax-deductible. Each guest organization on Preservation Oaks brings with them a truly unique viewpoint and perspective around how they tell the stories of their communities, how they continue to be relevant for the times in which we live and what kinds of exhibits and volunteer opportunities they've created. This makes listening to each episode of the program interesting, fun, and diverse. If you're listening and you'd like to be a guest on the program or if you have questions or comments about the program, Spin off an email to preservationoaks at gmail.com. All right, that being said, let's get this show snapping. Our historical events for this episode. On August 6, 1935, William Coolidge obtained a patent for the cathode ray tube, a critical ingredient of TV and other electronic applications. On August 12, 1930, Clarence Birdseye patented a method for packaging frozen foods. Where would we all be without frozen foods? On August 14, 1984, IBM released MS-DOS version 3.0. On August 20, 1930, Philo Farnsworth patented a television. And happy birthday on August 8, 1861 to William Bateson, who was a famous English biologist who invented the term genetics. A couple of jokes. You know you're a genealogist if you've ever tried to inspire the next generation by whispering into an infant's ear genealogy is fun. You know you're a genealogist if the local genealogical society borrows books from you. Let's have some tea. Twinings tea. Love Twinings tea. Now you can email us anytime at preservationoaks at gmail.com. Preservation Oaks is available for listeners on nearly all podcast platforms, Facebook, Odyssey, and YouTube. On our next episode of Preservation Oaks, we'll be meeting with the Eudora Area Historical Society located in Eudora, Kansas. The Eudora Area Historical Society operates the Eudora Community Museum. The museum displays numerous exhibits devoted to Eudora's history. Themes explored in the museum include Shawnee Indians, Western Expansion, the Oregon Trail, Eudora and the Civil War, Eudora as it developed in the late 19th century, Eudora's African American community, and the Sunflower Ammunition Plant. They tell an important story of America, and it'll be fun and interesting chatting with Ben Terwilliger, Executive Director, Eudora Community Museum. For this episode, we greet Bill McGrew, President of the Board of Directors of the Indian Creek Historical Society and his colleagues, Jeff Christensen, who is a board member of the Indian Creek Historical Society, Jim Shellhammer, the secretary of the Indian Creek Historical Society, and Rick Mayberry, treasurer of the Indian Creek Historical Society. If you're a resident in the local area, this episode will help you understand what the society has to offer, how you can participate and take advantage of the worthwhile events the society sponsors, and how to best support them by volunteering and donating. Here's a brief biography of our guests. Bill McGrew was born in 1955. He currently farms on a Century Farm with brothers and son. Now a Century Farm is a farm in the United States that has been officially recognized by a regional program documenting that the farm has been continuously owned by a single family for a hundred years or more. Bill's been involved with the Indian Creek Museum for over 20 years. Jeff Christensen grew up in rural Emerson, Iowa on a farm. He graduated from Red Oak, Iowa High School. Jeff spent his youth working for area farmers. He's been involved with horses all of his life, raising shire horses and quarter horses. He owns and operates a business called Circle C Carriages, providing services with his draft horses for weddings, proms, funerals, farming, and showing. He's also the Iowa State Hand Corn Husking Association president, the Southwest Iowa Draft Horse Association president, along with being on the Indian Creek Historical Society board of directors. Jim Shellhammer is the secretary of the Indian Creek Historical Society. Rick Mayberry was born and raised in Montgomery County, Iowa. He's a second generation Iowa farmer, as his parents moved from Southern Missouri and started the Mayberry Farms operation. Rick graduated from Nishna Valley High School and obtained a Bachelor of Science degree in Farm Operations from Iowa State University in Ames, Iowa. While attending college, he met his wife, Sarah. They returned to the family farm where they currently reside. Rick and Sarah have three adult children and six grandchildren, all who live in the general vicinity of Emerson. Rick has been actively involved in several boards and committees throughout the past four decades. He was active in Mills County Pork Producers, Henderson Hornets, Ambitious Andes 4-H Club Swine Project Leader, Mills County Fair Swine Superintendent and Trustee to their local church. In addition to the Indian Creek Historical Society, he currently serves on the Montgomery County Board of Adjustments.
1: Preservation Oaks, Join us for the Season 2 premiere on September 26th, only on MicroStream Radio.
2: Listeners, before you meet our guests, we have to let you know that the audio quality of this episode is not as clear as we like. Sometimes we get into a situation where the internet conspires to just be plain contrary to all our preparations and causes problems. Then the guests have other commitments and for one reason or another can't make the time to re-record before it's time to release the episode. And so, this episode is, what it is, this time around. Oh, this episode has all the content, and it's a bit echoey. But trust us when we tell you that the content is some of the best ever on this program, and that the Indian Creek Historical Society in Hastings, Iowa, is a great society. Well worth the effort to pay attention to. Don't forget, during the first break at about the 30-minute point in this episode is today's book short segment featuring author Joy Neal Kidney and her books. Leora's Letters, The Story of Love and Loss for an Iowa Family During World War II and, also, Leora Dexter Stories, The Scarcity Years of the Great Depression. So, please keep calm and listen on. And now on with the program.
0: Welcome to the program, Bill, Jeff, Jim, and Rick. Hey, Sean. Hi, John. Hello. Hi, Sean. How's the weather out your way in Hastings, Iowa?
3: Um, it's a little cooler today. We had quite a bit of heat last week, but I think we're only in the 80s today. But the uh, humidity's coming back up, and we're going to get hot here again in a few
4: days. But a nice day today, anyway.
0: Oh, good. The reason the society is called the Indian Creek Historical Society is because Indian Creek runs nearby? Is that right?
5: That's part of it, and then there's also, it's an Indian Creek township, too, anyway.
0: Oh, okay. That makes sense. Hey, what's the history of the Indian Creek Historical Society?
5: There was an old gentleman up the roadways, his name was Ben Wilson, and he had a collection of a, agricultural or farm exhibits, mostly traffic, but other things, too: household items and clocks, and his wife collected dolls and that, and they uh, married later in life and didn't have any children. And, uh, he was looking for a place to, you know, when he got up in the 80s, to where his collection was going to go, and one thing led to another, and contacted some big museums in Des Moines and such, and to be honest about it, they said they couldn't handle this collection. It was so big, they have to split it up, and he didn't want that, and so he got talking to some people around here, and one thing led to another, and the Indian Creek Historical Society was formed to take care of his collection.
0: And what was that collection?
5: Well, like I say it was the tractors made it the most noteworthy, but like I say, the wife collected dolls and they collected wall clocks to just he collected anything before he was collecting stuff before it became popular. You know, a lot of his tractors were collected back in the oh like the nineteen fifties and sixties before anyone really ever invented the term classic tractor. He was already saving them.
0: Oh fantastic. How did the society get the land out there in Hastings?
5: Well, this group of men, the early ones who Ben joined with, tried
3: to find a place for a museum. As I understand it, just started looking for a property. And uh, this 20 acres, just a few miles south of where Ben lived, became available. And they got together and came to terms and purchased the land and started plans for the first building.
0: And so the society was started, and was the museum created right away?
5: Within a couple of years, they you know, they, they had some problems with finances and stuff like that, but uh, I'd say within a year, they broke ground a year later, and the first building was probably completed within two to three years after they started.
0: Okay. What's the history of Mills County?
5: This is Rick, Sean. The history
3: of Mills County goes back to 1846 when the first white establishment was made by the Mormons who left Nauvoo, Illinois in 1846. And they called that first settlement Rushville, located along K Creek, southwest of the present-day Glenwood. And then when the Mormons moved on, Rushville became known as Coonville, in honor of the first physician of the community, Dr. Liberius T. Coon, who settled there in 1848. Mills County was named in honor of Lieutenant Frederick Mills, a young officer from Burlington, Iowa, who was killed in the Mexican-American War. The county was originally part of Pottawatomie County to the north. The general election of 1851 started the process of forming Mills County separate from Pottawatomie County. The name of the county seat was changed in 1853 from Coonville, Glenwood, which is the present day county seat. Records indicate that by March 1853, five townships had been established, and all of the townships were reorganized in February of 1857. That is when Indian Creek Township, after which the society is named, was formed. The earliest settlers in the county were probably the earth lodge Indians about 900 AD. And then the Potawatomi and Indians were well established in Mills County until the federal government ordered him to leave and move to Kansas in 1842. But notable above the notable um, among the Potawatomi was their chief Wabansi who refused to leave his land and remained on his land here in Mills County until his death. Early travel in the county was by way of Indian trails, which gave way to pass for the Mormon travelers and land seekers. And during the 1840s and 50s, the trail through Coonville was used by the Western stage line from Kingsville, now Council Bluffs, on its way to St. Joe, Missouri, and points further south. During the Civil War, the Underground Railroad was active. Covered wagons with runaway slaves stopped at Hoyt House East of Hastings to rest before proceeding to the home of a widow Shin, east of Macedonia, which is located north of here in Potawatomi County. Um, the Chicago, Burlington, and Quincy Railroad built lines across the county in 1867 running east to west. That's when the nearby towns of Hastings and Emerson were formed to serve stops for the train. The train route still exists today near the same location as the Burlington Northern Line. And as far as the topography of Mills County, the land on the west side of the county is a three to seven mile floodplain along the Missouri River. The eastern edge of that floodplain means that the predominant or the dominant feature geologically of the county, which we call Lus the Hills. Now, these very sea hills called bluffs run north to south from Sioux City, Iowa, all the way to St. Joseph, Missouri. And as I understand it, lust hills like these only exist in one other place in the world, someplace in China. Uh, and these hills are the remains of windblown soils that were formed at the end of the last ice age, 12 to 15,000 years ago. And then as you move further east from those Lush hills, these bluffs become more gently rolling hills, which compromise the uh, productive
4: farmland that makes up the majority of the county today.
0: Oh, very cool. Thank you very much for that. Hey, what area of the counties constitute Southwest Iowa, anyway? Well, I don't think there's
3: a formal designation, but what I think most people would consider are the eight counties right in the corner of the state. And that would be Mills County, of
4: course, and Montgomery, Fremont and Page, Paw County, Cass County, Taylor County, and Adams
0: County. Okay, thank you. That helps a lot. Can you please provide the audience with an overview of the communities you serve? the variety of your membership, and the mission and objectives of your society?
3: I would say mainly we serve just the people in those counties, and more, more tightly, Mills and Montgomery County are the main people. And, you know, our goals are just to have this collection of events out in the public, or it's available to the public to see. We don't want it close up somewhere where... Nobody can see it anymore. The members are mainly just from here in southwest Iowa and predominantly from Mills and Montgomery counties. We have a variety of membership. It is an ag community, but it's not just farmers and ag people. Um, we have a school teacher who has previously on the board who runs our one-room schoolhouse. We have business people that became involved in the business, and our objectives are just to keep this collection in the public's
4: eye, not shut away somewhere. We want people to see these things and remember the past
3: and, and preserve that history.
0: That's great, thank you for that. Can we go round robin, starting with Bill? Can, can you tell our audience a little bit about your background, how you came to do what you do now at the Historical Society?
4: Yeah, this is
5: Bill. Uh, I guess one day, about 20 years ago, probably the any very historical site. It started for maybe about five years or so. And, and uh, my uncle, which was on the original board, asked me if I just wanted to sit in on a meeting. He said, I'm not asking you to do anything. Just sit in and see what you think anyway. And I guess after that, I came, went to that meeting and I came to the next one. And, Next thing I knew, I was on the board anyway. And so, but I, but I, I farm with you know my brothers and my son about five miles from the museum in Portland Red Oak. So I never got too far from home, and still live here today. And like I say, the museum's about five miles from where I live, and so it makes it real handy to stay active with them anyway.
0: Great, thank you, Bill.
5: This is Jim Shaw. I'm currently
0: the
3: Secretary of the Board of Directors for the museum. And, and my history is a little different than the three pie gentlemen I'm sitting with who all have a farming history. I grew up in the farm community where my grandfather and my father ran International Harpshire Farm Dealership. So when I grew up at, from the age of 12 to 16, 17 years old, I was always working down at the store helping out around there. So I became very acquainted, fascinated with the mechanical side of the business the equipment, you know, assembled uh, combines, uh, worked on tractors. So, you know, I've had a love of, of, of international harvester equipment, the red ones, for, for years. And some years ago, I took over the presidency of a, a, another uh, tractor club, one that was centered in Glenwood. And that was kind of running its course of less and less membership. So we moved out here and joined Indian Creek here about six, seven years ago. And so I've maintained that relationship out here.
0: Oh, that's fantastic, Jim. Thank you for that. Were you the one telling me about hit and miss engines?
3: Yes, I first started uh, working on tractors around the house after I got my own anchorage southeast of here. And I then became fascinated with hit and miss, or also called flywheel, stationary engines. And they were developed in the late 1800s up to about the mid-40s. And they were used on the farm to run equipment. Usually they run a belt off a flywheel. And they were running everything from a washing machine to uh, equipment, overhead maintenance in a, in a maintenance shed to Combines and various equipment, stationary, usually stationary equipment. So you know, I've, I've since collected about 45 gas engines that I haven't been working on for years.
0: <laughs> I heard you, and, uh, you bring those out on occasion and show the public.
3: We do. I have, the last couple of years, brought out engines, a couple of them, to run during the Car Housing Championship, which we'll talk about later. But yeah, I, I I brought that out. I also brought a hand hard grinder, which the kids just love. I just I can't I have a lineup of kids who want to grind or a husk a shell horn through my grinders.
0: Oh, cool. Which is a hand operated. Yeah,
3: it's, it's kind of neat. They, they just, they they just think, think it's neat, <laughs> you know? I think and, they're uh, anyway, too.
0: I looked them up on Google and, and they look really cool.
3: The engines? Yeah. Yeah, they're they're kind of neat, you know. They're one, most of them are one launchers, one one cylinders, and they are slow slow runners. A chunk, 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 and that's just every time it hits, fires. That's called hit, and miss.
4: missed. <laughs> very In the cool. Cycle, it yeah. would
3: uh, it would hit on one cycle and the reverse cycle, it would miss.
0: Ah, very cool. Thank you for that, Jim.
3: This is Rick. I'm I would like to like add. Jim, we had a terrific hit in engine, stationary engine display here at the museum. And Jim's input and guidance was critical in us getting that done, and we appreciate what he did for us there. But as far as my history, I was born here in Southwest Iowa, worked on the farm, not very many miles here
4: from the museum. And I became interested in old tractors in the 80s. I did restore and
3: showed John Deere two-cylinder tractors for years. We would have uh, rivalries with the international harvester guys like Jim and had a lot of fun with it. Later on in my career, I found myself with more spare time, and I just wanted to come out here and help the museum because I really enjoy the old tractors and just showing these, these old things to the
0: community. Great. Thank you.
1: Yeah, this is Jeff and, uh and well, I, I grew up uh, not too far from the museum here, too, uh, about six miles, worked for area farmers all my life, kind of moved about uh, well, 45 miles away, started in horses all my life, and got into draft horses, and knew the museum was always over here going, but... Uh, Never really got too involved until I was asked to come put on demonstrations with our draft horses and obstacle course and D-team races and stuff like that. So that's how I kind of got started with the museum and it's kind of grown from there, Uh, got the the corn husking competition brought over here to the museum. So after that, I've really become pretty involved with the museum here in the last you know, six years, I
0: guess. Yeah, fantastic. Now, I understand you're also involved with other organizations.
1: Yes, I'm the Southwest Iowa draft horse president. So we have about 45 members in our draft horse club that we show and a farm with our draft horses all over Southwest Iowa and been on competitions for fairs and museums and stuff like
0: that. Draft horses are those like perchurons?
1: Uh yes, there's our club has members that have got uh pertrons, Belgians, Brabants. And uh, I have shires, which are, there's only 3,500 shires left in the world that are registered. Ooh. So they're kind of a rare breed, but uh, the shires were an England horse that the medieval knights and stuff used to joust and fight off of. So they're one of the oldest breeds of draft horses around.
0: Now you're also involved beyond the horse organization. You're also involved in corn husking.
1: Yep, yeah. one of the draft horse members was in charge of the corn husking over the the colonies, and uh, he got it started back up in 2010, up until 2017, and in 2017, he was going to just quit it and drop it, and there was no longer going to be an Iowa competition, and uh, I was doing a little bit of stuff for the museum at that point, and uh, we had some ground, and I approached them and I guess that's how I become the
6: cornhusking <laughs> president
1: uh, there. So we have the Iowa Championship cornhusking competition held here at the museum every year now.
0: Oh, that's fantastic.
1: Now, and, uh, like I remember, you know, my father and my grandfather
5: back in the oh, you know, like the 20s and all that, and even the, during the depression. The, the corn the I mean, Iowa State corn husking, mean, I guess there's nine states that do it in the Midwest, as I understand. But I mean that that was a bigger deal than the state fairs. I mean, it was just huge. I mean, that's what everybody did, you know, for a living anyway, and, and each community had their own champion as it were. And well, I say it's just a really, really big deal. And I I'm I'm just really proud to say we have the Iowa one right here in Indian Creek.
0: So when is the annual corn husking championship this year?
1: It is September 17th.
0: So it's still coming up? Yes. That's great. I hope everybody from all of the surrounding counties, Mill County, Pottawatomie, Montgomery, Fremont, uh, you probably get people from all over the state there, right?
1: Yes. Anybody is uh, welcome to come husk corn uh, for many ages from... Uh, Peewees. If you're old enough to kind of walk and grab an ear off of the stock of the corn, you can do it to clear up the Golden Agers, which is a class 75 and up. And last year we had a guy that was 91 years old to come out and walk with his cane and pick corn. He wanted to do it one last time before something happens to him. And so it's fun for all ages it's in between. And men, women, children, everything.
4: I
0: imagine at the Corn Husking Championship in September, on September 17th, you'll also have food?
1: Yep, there'll no be food uh, vendors here. We have the local fire department, has a pork chop uh, dinner with sides, uh, usually green beans or macaroni salads or something like that for minimal charge. And there's other food vendors. Uh, we also have the junk fest. Uh, it has about 40 vendors of various booths of art, woodworking, um, you know, just kind of little peddler tents or whatever,
4: that's
0: just all, all sorts, sorts of, of knickknacks
1: things and trailers.
0: That's so cool. I, I bet that's a great time. Do, do a lot of people normally attend that?
1: Yeah, we have probably somewhere, I'd say, between uh, 400,000 people attend that day, come through. um, Everything's pretty much free of charge. If you want to pick corn, there's a fee for that in the meal. Of course, it's free, but we have a a kid's play zone that has bounces and a train that's pulled by a lawnmower with uh, little barrel train cars that the kids get to play and a corn pile that they get to find money or gift items in the pile of corn if they get to play in no, instead
0: of the sandbox of corn. Oh, that's cool. Ah, it sounds like such a good time. Hey, Bill, what's coming up on the horizon for the Society? Where are you headed next? Well,
5: it's hard to say. It, in a way, it's almost growing faster than we can handle it. But uh, we have a glassmith shop that we've been kind of fighting along for a couple of years. It's really coming into the in the last. A uh, short year, uh, groups from Omaha, believe it or not, there's still uh, clubs of blacksmiths that you know want to do their trade, you know, and uh, they're always looking for and they kind of took us on the, as a charity case, I think, but uh, they uh, you know, they started coming here to work and they kind of converted our just our static blacksmith shop into a real working one and that's one of the things but uh you know we are just always uh the, the women do uh you know quilting and wool weaving and that there, there's lots of different aspects it's not just a tractor museum anymore and now that james brought the corn husking pass it to it it's you know that while you say that, I'm almost, I'm really proud of that. Like I said it before, but after hearing my father and grandfather talk about all the legends of corn husking and that, I just I'm tickled to death to have it
4: here. Oh,
0: that's great. Now can you tell us between you guys, you must have a few funny or interesting stories from your society's history.
5: Well, I, I don't know if other people think it's funny, but one, one of the things that I laughed the hardest at was it was probably, oh, 15 years ago, we had our first corn boil, as we call it. It's where we take a, we have a big cast iron pot that used to scald the hogs in the them. And, uh, you know, we cook like uh, anywhere from 20 to 50 years of corn time in it. And uh, lift them out when they're done with the pitchfork. And local uh, cattlemen or pork producers and that take a grill and cook these pork chops and, so it's a, a near corn, a sweet corn and pork chop and, you know, potato salad and coleslaw affair. But, but the first year, I think we really didn't know what to expect. We'd never done it before. And, and uh, you know, so I think we got, oh, I don't know if we got two or three hundred years of corn, but all of a sudden we realized that the uh, line was still and We started to run low. And the cooks in desperation said, uh, well, what are we going to do? And I kind of took it as a challenge anyway. And I looked at one guy and he said, well, we have a sweet corn patch you're welcome to. And I said, okay, let's do it. And about eight or ten of us jumped in the back of a pickup and he heads off to the sweet corn patch about five miles away and we uh, each
1: had a sack
5: and we filled the sacks up with that and put them in the back of the pickup. And we were—we knew we were running the gun for time. In fact, we figured they were going to be you know, of food by the time we got back there, out of the corn. And uh, so we came up with the right idea. We'd husk these ears of corn were going down the road. And, uh, you know, it was kind of breezy that day, but you can about imagine this. This is back, you know, long enough ago where people run on the back of the pickup. They don't allow it anymore. There's, I'd say, six or eight of us in the back of the pickup uh, husking this corn, and, of course, we just pull off our huskings. Toss it up in the air and it'd blow off in the ditch or or hit back in the road or whatever. And we started laughing, thinking how funny this looked because you know that many of us do. it. you know, funny you know, show actually anyway. And, you know, cars would come up behind us and wave and honk and you know whatever give us a high sign going down the road. And well, i say we, we just got to laugh it's it's and sorry it was funny. next thing we know. The county deputy was coming up behind us, and um, we got the right idea. We just kept doing it, throwing the shots up and almost dared him to say something. It didn't bother us in the back, but the driver was getting real nervous because he was the one who was going to get blamed for it. But anyway, I think he took it in the spirit. Because even the shots were starting that someone would get his windshield, you know. I can't believe he didn't. You know, say anything he finally passed us and just honed and waves and he was laughing, too. And, uh, I'll, I'll never forget that,
0: though. Oh, that's funny. That's really funny. Yeah. Six guys in the back of a pickup shucking corn. <laughs>
5: yeah, huh. <laughs> well, going down the highway about sound.
0: That's great. Hey, I'm sorry to interrupt, guys, but it's time for our first break for a few minutes. All right, listeners, we'll be right back after these important messages. on by joining, donating, and volunteering at the Indian Creek Historical Society located at five nine two five six three hundred and eightieth Street, Hastings, Iowa. Learn more at www.indiancreekhs.com. Please join, volunteer, donate, and visit this wonderful society today.
1: It's time for Preservation Oaks Book Shorts. Book Shorts is a segment of the program where we quickly introduce listeners to authors and books which satisfy your love of history and genealogy, help you with your own research, and finally help you improve the depth and wisdom of your unique family story.
0: On this installment of Book Shorts, we're very pleased to be joined by author Joy Neal Kidney to provide listeners with an overview of her books. Joy's books fall into the category of nonfiction books that provide insights into ancestors' lives and the places they lived. I especially like history books that allow the reader to step back in time, which these books clearly do. These books can add depth to understanding and telling your own family history. Joy Neil Kidney is an Iowa author who grew up on an Iowa farm. With God's help, Joy is aging gratefully. Living with fibromyalgia for two dozen years, has given her plenty of homebound days to write blog posts and books. Listeners, I want you to know that this isn't just any nonfiction teller of stories. Joy was recognized and presented with the 2021 Great American Storyteller Award, quote, honoring the woman who most beautifully tells the story of America to Americans, unquote. This award was given by our American Stories organization and WHO News Radio 1040. You can visit Joy's website at joynealkidney.com. Joy has three books, the first being Leora's Letters, the story of love and loss for an Iowa family during World War II. There were five brothers that went to World War II, only two came home. Leora's Letters, the story of love and loss for an Iowa family during World War II, tells the story of the five Wilson brothers who are featured on the Dallas County Freedom Rock at Minburn, Iowa. Leora was their mother, and it was Joy's grandmother. The second book is Leora's... Dexter stories: the Scarcity years of the Great Depression. The undertow of the Great Depression becomes poignantly personal as we experience the travails of Leora and Clabe Wilson, a displaced Iowa farm family. Gritty determination fuels this family’s journey of loss and hope, a reflection of what many American families endured during those challenging times. In this true story, the Wilsons slowly slide into unemployment and poverty. Leora must find ways to keep her dreams alive while making a haven for her flock of seven children in one rundown house after another. The third book, which Joy is currently working on, is called Leora's Early Years, Guthrie County Roots. It's the third book in the Leora Stories series, and it's scheduled to be released this year, sometime in the late summer. Okay, Joy, welcome to the program. Well, thank you for inviting me. Oh, you're very welcome. I'd like to say how awesome your books are. The cool thing about these books is they tell a story about the past that anybody researching family history and having ancestors who lived during the World War II years can immediately benefit from. These books can enhance their understanding of the times and the lives of their ancestors, and that information can really assist them in telling their own family stories and might actually lead them to explore new threads of research. Can you give listeners an overview of your books? Well, that World War II book, it had to be
7: told because of the losses of the three brothers. But what it has done when people read it is they start telling me stories of their World War II relatives. You know, I just wanted to write a book. I didn't realize the connections they were going to make. The second one is called Leora's Dexter Stories, The Scarcity Years of the Great Depression. I'm just amazed at how many. I gave a talk last week and people told their Great Depression stories. I was amazed. I do research in what's out there. So many of the Depression stories have to do with the Okies and the going to California, or they are farm families. My dad was a farm family during that time. I never heard him talk about being worried about what to eat. And my Depression era story even talks about when they had possum for supper. And at first, my mother said, oh, don't tell them that. And I said, mom, your family did what they had to do to survive. They had the seven children. The new book, The Early Years, actually goes into when Leora was born, 1890. I discovered that her grandparents were some of the very first settlers in Guthrie County, Iowa at the time. Mm -hmm. I was not an old state. I think we became a state in 1846. And these ancestors came into that section of Iowa as early as 1854. So the beginning of it sketches early Iowa, early Guthrie County, and just what it was like to grow up during those years. Eventually, I'll probably do the rest of them. The next one is actually going to be the research I did to find out what happened to those three brothers during World War
0: II. Where can people get a copy of your book? What's the best? Well, they
7: are self published through Amazon on KDP. But if you would like an autographed copy, we have an indie bookstore here in Des Moines called Beaverdale Books. The phone number is 515 279 5400, and they will ship them. So that's a nice connection to be able to also benefit an indie bookstore.
0: Joy, I'd like to thank you for your time today and for your great books, for your great stories. Listeners, pick up a copy of these excellent books. They have real-life, true information that can help you shape your family history. So thank you, Joy, for being a guest on Book Shorts.
7: And thank you, Sean, for inviting me.
0: Good luck with your new book coming out later this summer, entitled Leora's Early Years, Guthrie County Roots. You come back anytime, okay?
7: Okay, thank you.
0: All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>
6: And now, back to Preservation Oaks.
0: Welcome back to Preservation Oaks. I'm your host, Sean Thomas Radcliffe, and we are here today with Bill McGrew, President of the Board of Directors at the Indian Creek Historical Society located in Hastings, Iowa. Bill has brought with him some other leaders of the society. We have Jeff Christensen, who is a board member of the Indian Creek Historical Society and President of the Iowa Corn Husking Association and president of the Southwest Iowa Draft Horse Association. We have Jim Shellhammer, secretary of the Indian Creek Historical Society, and Rick Mayberry, the treasurer of the Indian Creek Historical Society. Let's pick up where we left off. We just heard a funny story about running out of corn for the corn boil and six guys in the back of a pickup truck shucking corn all the way down the road and had to go get more sweet corn from a sweet corn patch. Does anyone else want to share a funny story? Well,
5: listen, Bill again, Sean, another uh, thing that I always think about every year when we get the grassy machine out is one day we were getting ready, right the local town of Emerson has an annual, uh, you know, parade anyway, called Emerson Day, like a lot of uh, small communities have. But anyway, we decided we were going to take our thrashing machine in there. And you got to realize that this thrashing machine was made in 1928. So it didn't have rubber tires on it, it had steel tires. And there's no bearings in the wheels, they're just bushings. And uh, we were going to pull it, you know, like eight miles into town, you know, to take it through the parade. And uh, I just kind of got to thinking I was working with this other older fellow named Paul, that uh, we were just getting this machine ready to go down the road and go on the parade, and that. And I thought, well, if it's going to go down the road that far, I better reach the wheels on it. Well, I just happened to have my pickup there, and in the back of it was a, a default, you know, portable rescue. Now, nowadays they're pretty common, but back then they were just
1: starting to come out,
5: so it was kind of neat, And uh, for people that aren't familiar with grease on a thrashing machine, there's a lot of greasers on it, and a, a lot of them are kind of hard to get to, so there's a rubber hose on the end of the, the grease gun, which takes one hand, then it takes another hand to hold the grease gun, and then another one of the pump in other words, it takes three hands and a monkey to run this grease gun, well, if you have a cordless one like they came out with, you just put one hand on the grease gun into the grease gun hose and the other one on the switch for the bolt's grease gun and it just makes it easy but it makes kind of a roaring pumpkin sound and i was there by the wheels uh putting grease into these spindles and just kind of goes, rr, 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 like that and all of a sudden this older fellow that he's kind of our goofy, really knows all about the older stuff and that and all of a sudden he comes over to me and goes just how dumb do you think i am and I thought for a minute, I like, go, well, I don't think he's done it all. I think he's pretty smart. He goes, he says, make me think you're putting air in these steel tires. And I go, no, no, it's <laughs> a grease gun. He goes, what? And he uh, showed me this electric grease gun. He goes, can I see that? And I said, sure. And I handed it to him. That's to like, the whole machine down in a gravel trying with it. But I thought, you know, besides being kind of cool and that, you know, I thought, you know, You know, a lot of these little guys get criticized for not, you know, accepting the new ways. But here he's, well, he said, you know, he said, I like that anyway. He said, said, I'm (laughs) going to give you one of
0: those. Oh, that's good. Hey, what kinds of facilities do you have and what exhibits are on display?
3: This is Jim speaking. Uh, I'll explain the the museum complex to you best I can. Our main museum is actually two buildings buildings that are... Joined together for
6: an L shape,
3: and within those in in that those buildings, we have a lot of antiques, anywhere from stoves and and waste from tractors and uh, all kinds of toys and kitchen utensils and old lamps and old projectors. It's it's a really eclectic arrangement of equipment or early pioneer. We have uh, items that. Are probably date from the early 1900s to uh, about the 50s and 60s, and everything we have here has been donated by you know local family, and we just
1: put it up for display
3: so people can see it. And in our in the next three buildings to the north of the uh, main museum, we have three equipment sheds, and they're more buildings, and most of the building are filled with the uh, tractors or farm equipment. And we have a couple, uh, some some very interesting, unique items in that. Uh, we have a tractor that runs on propane, and we have the uh, old oil pole, which is an older hit-and-miss, hit and basically,
6: gas engine that ran on
3: kerosene. And uh, our third building, which... Is something that I'm near and dear to my heart was that we cut half of it up in built up shelves and have on display about 45 gas engines, the hit and miss flywheel engines. And we have everything from a half a horse up to 12 and 14 horse engines. Now, a couple of our bigger engines are too big for the put up on shelves. They're actually sitting on horse, no time, they're horse drawn. Carriages And they were towed around with the horse poles on the front. And they were big, big, big edges. They were used in the farm equipment. And though we have those on display, occasionally we'll bring, bring a few of them out once a while and start them up. Uh, uh, then south of our main building, we have a horse barn that was transported here some years ago, uh, donated by another family. And we brought that up and we now have uh, that Barn filled with a lot of horse tack for people to display, and then beside that is our uh, welding shop. And in the welding shop, we not only have three or four working blacksmith forges, but we also have some other equipment. We have some. Eventually, we want to do build is an overhead pulley system that would run on a miss engine with a flywheel, and that was used to to power certain drills and reamers and all kinds of equipment you would use in a machine shop. Then uh, we have the creek that runs down to the middle of the property. Across the creek, we have an old 1870s schoolhouse And that schoolhouse has been semi restored and it has chairs and books. And when we have the museum open, people can go in there and see what it would like to sit and try to educate in a one room schoolhouse. Then beside that building is an old log cabin. Now we're told it's one of the first or very early log cabin that was built in Mills County. And that also was transported here and set up for people to see what it's like in the log cabin there. And things that I, we have, hosted. something that I would like to add is our main museum is set up for a uh, banquet facilities, which, which is, is very farm-related, farm just a bunch of Long tables set up with chairs, and that's where we hold our monthly breakfast, which we hold on the fourth Sunday of every month. And that is we, we cook up uh, eggs and ham and uh, meatloaf and, and biscuits and gravies and something we're well well known for in the community. And that people always ask about is our men and pecan roast, which the ladies come in at 5 o'clock in the morning and start preparing for, for our Sunday morning breakfast. Which runs, like I said, the fourth Sunday of every month, and it is free. We we collect goodwill donations, a free will offering, only for our anything we do at the museum. So so the breakfasts breakfasts are are well attended. We have anywhere from two to four hundred people to come up for that, and constantly asked by the local, when you're going to have your breakfast, or when is is he going to have this week.
0: Very cool. Now you have Ben Wilson's antique farm equipment displayed there. How many tractors or how much how many pieces of equipment would you say are there?
5: Well we started out with we used to say there was like 70, uh, 80 old tractors all the way from real early nineteen by nineteen, eighteen, up to you know, we have a few, about the newest one we have would be like say nineteen forty or fifty. But a lot, a lot of them were in the 20s and 30s, but, but like I was alluded to earlier, there, there's, what makes our collection kind of unique is there, there's everything from uh, red farmholes to green John deere's to yellow Minneapolis Smolines to all oh, those names like Jim said, like uh, Rumley's that a lot of people never even heard of anyway, but back in the day were you know kind of popular or good machines that but we're kind of proud of the fact that uh you know by far the most of them uh still run yet anyway but it's a real challenge to keep them running or challenge like say we used to start them every year but like a lot of groups uh labor's hard to come by and and all to do it and uh, you know some of them it's been you know three five years since they run i have no doubt what they wouldn't but uh that's, just, that's one of the things we got to work on, is to make sure that we can still make the claim that they still run.
0: Yeah, that sounds right. Do you guys have any collections exhibited anywhere else in the county, like at the county fair or the county courthouse or any schools or any of that?
5: Well, I don't know if you really call it exhibiting a collection, but uh, we like to take a, a lot of times a tractor. To the county fairs, like say the Malvern Fair for Mills County and the uh, Redwood Fair for Mount County, quite often we'll take a, a one of the older tractors there and let the kids climb around on it and that, and the people come by and say, "Yeah, my father had one just like that and whatever." And uh, when time permits and that, uh, quite often we'll take a, a hand-branded corn shower like Jim was talking about earlier. And why they, that's always the head of the building. Mike says the kids just love to turn that crank. And then the grandparents and parents sit there and shake their head and say back, when we had to do it. We hated it. But He said, when you watch these kids, and I tell you, it can, it, they can go, they can shell a, a pickup load of your porn in one afternoon if you want them anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's great. But so but they just
5: kind of have this real. They
3: just, just love her pranks, like Jim said. Jim, yeah, I remember one year when I had my shelter out there, and I had this one girl, she was probably eight or nine years old, and she would crank one or two years, and then she'd leave, she'd come back five minutes later and want to do it again. And she did that probably dozen or two dozen times to the point where the parents were trying to pull her away. But she just loved it so
0: much. That's great. You're passing on history. And
3: and, and this is Rick. I have what Bill says we've done. uh, Our local John Deere dealership Uh, usually has a big tractor demonstration in the fall. And I know they've had us bring our 1918 Waterloo boy to uh, show that just to show the uh, contrast between this first tractor that John Deere ever built and and these modern tractors today. And it always... uh, Got a, a lot of attention there at this
0: show. So. I bet it's changed quite dramatically.
3: The contrasts are uh, are quite large between the <laughs> two.
4: <laughs> yeah. We also,
3: this is Jim again, uh, a couple things we haven't talked about yet is that we also participate, some of our members participate in tractor drives, and they will drive their old machines around and come back to the museum and have a little good times together, maybe have a meal together. We also uh, occasionally will support a tractor show at a local hardware store and we even take a bunch down to the city of Omaha. And a third third thing or another thing that we do is every Wednesday night of uh, the, the, the third Wednesday of the month, we do a movie night and we pull up old tractor movies or following days or whatever i even brought a couple of my hit and miss museum movies that i had and showed them so anything farm related we we try to get some old movies and pull it up on a big screen screen tv
5: we pop some popcorn and you know 12 to 20 guys just sit around and you know sometimes if we don't shut it off i think they'd sit and watch them all night long but you know we start at 7 o'clock and you know, I'm trying to kind of wind it up by nine o'clock if we can, but uh, it, it's pretty, pretty real informal, but uh, a lot of people enjoy it.
0: That sounds great. Hey, when is the next breakfast?
5: Our
3: next, our wow. last breakfast is actually this past Sunday. Two, two days, days ago. ago. Yeah, two days ago. So our next one will be the fourth Sunday of the month in August 28th. 28th, okay. which is
0: the 28th. That's great. What kind of funding model supports the society? What are your funding goals this year?
3: Um, this is Rick. I'll address that. Um, first of all, like uh, the other guys have said, we don't charge for anything here, so we just do rely on donations. And um, we do get grants uh, specifically from the Community Foundation of Southwest Iowa. We have a couple of endowments in our name, and we're set up by Ben and Wilson, who donated the majority of the collection, and uh, Charles Lakin also created an endowment for us, so that helps out quite a bit annually. Um, Mills County is always good to give us a little bit every year. People do recognize us in their memorials, and that has been a significant source of income there, too. And as mentioned before, we do have a meeting hall here to charge rent for that, a modest rent that provides some income and uh when people come in they ask you how much uh, does it cost and as i said we don't it doesn't cost anything we do ask if you to leave a donation if you think you're worth it when we're when you're all done and we have a big donation box here at the front we do have dues for members every year uh, and it's modesty too it's ten dollars from an individual fifteen dollars for a family we also have various fundraising events which we've talked about a little bit the monthly breakfast which draws 150 to 300 people and you know, that's just a great community event. You just sit back at the front and you watch these groups of people who haven't seen each other in quite some time and there are various conversations going on. They finish their breakfast and they sit there for another hour, just catching up with people they haven't seen in a while. And these conversations are going on all across the room. So people really enjoy that. And, and the corn oil we talked about is another fundraising. You know, we do make some money from that from our donations. And the you Iowa know, and course, corn examined band, of course, is a money maker boards too we do have our sponsor board for people that want to sponsor that event and they can get their name on the board for uh 225 dollars for a gold membership 150 dollars for a silver membership or 75 for a bronze and uh, that pretty much helps cover all the costs of the corners
0: what kind of board uh, is,
3: is it sponsor board and it's just a big don't like 10 by 12 piece of uh it's aluminum, actually, and uh, we uh, have vinyl signs applied to it and our uh, sponsors' names. So it's right there for everybody to see at what level they donated and they're sponsoring our event. Oh,
0: that's so, great. Uh,
3: it's uh, kind of a nice little visual for everybody. We do collect contestant fees, as uh, Jeff <laughs> said, for the husking Board does, and those are donated back to the museum.
0: Oh, that of course, cool. we have to have corn
3: mm-hmm. for this corn event. So in part of our ground here, we grow a six-acre patch of corn, and our sponsors cover all the expenses. So the income we get from selling corn also goes to the museum, which is an isolated income source for us. And mm-hmm. as
5: far as our goals,
3: yeah, we do have some long-term goals that are not really set in, you know, in stone. We're going to need more buildings at some point in time, and we talked about different kinds of buildings, possibly another you know, store for tractors because they're really tight. Some other ideas is some, uh, some of our members like to bring in an old church. You know, something was built in the 19th century, we could find the right building to move in and set that up over close to our schoolhouse or possibly set up like a mercantile store representation because we have tons of items in the museum that could be displayed there and we could really stock it to make it look like a period store. store. Um, None of those goals are set in stone or solid, but those are things that we're working for, and we really need the money available for we start a project like that, because buildings are expensive, so yeah. we're, we're working in that direction.
0: Well, that's great. Hey, do you guys have a gift shop at all? We,
3: not really per se. We do have t-shirts that are made up with the uh, museum's name on them, and some hand corner-listing t-shirts that we do sell, and usually ask, but that's really all we sell. Not a lot, but it's just there for somebody that wants a little more
0: the museum. That's fantastic. Thank you, Rick, for that. Do you guys do any education with school children, or what kind of outreach and education does the society undertake within the community?
4: Yeah,
5: this is Bill again. Uh, one thing we're all pretty much in
4: agreement on is. Uh,
5: kids and well uh, the kids can about ride right their own chicken around here if they want to participate in uh demonstrations or or just learn something some of them are good enough to ask well how do you actually do this and any any of our guys or girls are glad so i like I say the women will put on week or weekly sometimes in the week in the wintertime weekly uh yard yarn uh, spinning and wool weaving and stuff like that. And uh well one thing we do like a lot of times once the weather turns good in the spring toward the end of the school year, like the uh, local up here, it's called East Mills School now. You know, it's just you know about a quarter mile away all the next door. But they'll they'll bring the kids down here for to our one room schoolhouse and old school for a, a day, you know, and let them see like the uh, have, you know, several class all the way from first grade to fourth grade, I believe, in the one-room schoolhouse with just one teacher and that. And there's others, like they'll come from Red Oak, uh, you know, to do but But uh, like I say, if, if, if they're a kid, they can about write their own ticket around here.
0: That sounds great. Do you guys publish a newsletter?
5: We do not.
0: Okay.
3: We're uh uh, have in works the expansion of of a new website for us, and once we get that up and running, which could be a couple of months down the road, but we've got someone right now working on that. We hope to have a lot more information available through the actual website. We also have the Facebook site for Indian Creek Historical Society, which has uh, pictures. And a couple of videos out there so people can log in there and and find out information. We use the we use the Facebook a lot for our communication for people asking questions. There are two members, I'm one of them, who are on the email list. So as soon as they someone posts a Facebook message to the museum, we'll get notified of the comment or questions they're asking. so. One of usually answers that question fairly
0: quick. Do you use the Facebook to keep the community informed about the progress of the society in achieving the mission?
4: Quite
3: a bit, yeah. yeah I think I think, I think, think people ask us this all the time uh, or let, let us know when we've, where we've got, got to put something in, on Facebook for an upcoming event that something's missing. So, yeah, yeah I, we, we get um, – I would say when I post something on Facebook – I usually reach an audience of anywhere from 100 to 150 people. And those are usually only local people.
0: That sounds great. Do you do presentations at the monthly breakfast, or do you have an annual meeting where people can attend?
3: We have an annual meeting. That's usually in the early part of the year. Uh, We do that as a way of voting in the new board members. We rotate a, a, a member every Three years so, and, and we offset that every, every year. So, so we have every year we have anywhere from two to three members that are uh, rotating as far as being on the board.
0: Thank you for that. Beyond the tractors and and the other you know machinery artifacts, have any kind of records or photographs or any of that been donated?
5: Well, yeah, this is Bill. The local 4-H clubs uh, back, I'm going to say, time gets away from me, but, you know, 10, 20 years ago, I guess there was a government mandate that you couldn't have a boys or a girls 4-H club. It has to be, you know, co-now anyway. So a lot of these clubs basically were forced to disband and then uh, reorganize the boy-girl club. Well, there's all these years worth of records and stuff like from the historians and that that they really didn't know what to do with. Well, I guess the logical place was to bring them down here and we kind of store them. We wish we could display them a little better, but if anybody asks, we sure can. But uh, it's really fun to look back, you know, four years ago when. Looked at what they were doing back then, because a lot of times it's their, the kids that are in those pictures and that or you know, the, today's kids' uh, grandparents.
0: Wow, so you've got some 4-H records? And then,
5: uh, then another thing, if I could, Sean, uh, the local school up here we organized a few years ago. And uh, for whatever reason, all the old senior pictures and the sports trophies and that, they were encouraged to not have them on display anymore in the school because it, it somehow somebody thought that, you know, they wouldn't, it still feel like they were individual rivalries and such, I guess, for lack of a better words. Huh. So uh, we ended up with a lot of the, well, with all the senior pitchers and stuff. And in fact, I'm one of them anyway, and a lot of the kids, a lot of their parents during those pitchers. And the sports trophies, you know, have names that we've all heard of. And, but it's kind of almost fun to see a trophy that, you know, has somebody's name on it. Well, they might be 75 or 80 years old now, but they were, you know, state basketball champions back in the day. So uh, I'd say we're not just all farm stuff, but, uh, even though the majority is. But I'd say uh, the school the school uh, pitchers and trophies, uh, we're pretty proud of that exhibit, too.
4: Yeah, And it there's, there's other
5: uh, things, you know, like we have our ex-Congressman's uh, desk in Washington, D.C., and all sorts of memorabilia for that. Uh, we'll, we'll make a display out of that someday soon, too.
0: Wow. You guys are evolving into quite an organization. You may have a reference library someday.
5: Well, someday, anyway. It, it, like i say uh, books. You wouldn't think so, anymore, everything's online, computers, are... books are just kind of a rare thing. There's a We have several sets of encyclopedias, but, you know, nobody wants an encyclopedia set anymore. But it's kind of fun that it's still something special to thumb through a book instead of, you know, looking on the screen.
0: So with all that going on with your annual events and your fundraising events and so on and so forth, I don't know if you do holiday events at Christmas, but you must have a, a large need for volunteers. How are you doing on volunteers?
3: Yeah, this is Rick. We, we could, could use, use volunteers,
4: volunteers at all of our events. No, that's um, we, we definitely that's can use
3: volunteers. To, uh, the, the monthly, monthly breakfast, um, you know, it's, it's the, the same crew working really hard, and we could always use a few more members um, the girls in the back doing the pecan rolls, the sweet rolls, I'm sure would uh, enjoy some help and not have to be here every Sunday. At our uh, thrashing day, we usually have there's just a handful of guys here doing the work, and we welcome more help getting machinery in and out of the buildings and helping display it that way. And probably our biggest need for help is at uh, the corn hunting event. We have to have judges who we call either timers or cleaners. And there's a big need for those people to be there. It's not a hard job. It's very easy to explain what to do, but we just need people to fill those spots to keep the event going. And then there's all sorts of other jobs associated with that day that would make it easier. And they're not hard. They're actually kind of fun. You get to you know, meet a lot of people, see a lot of things, and uh, it's a great way to spend an afternoon But um, If somebody wants to come, we're – We've got all sorts of things we'd be glad for them to do for
5: us. Oh. We're, we're not hard to approach anyway. We'll, we'll, we'll find something that they'll enjoy doing. They don't need to be afraid to ask. But, like, like Jeff, uh, you know, I mean, tell how many people it takes. I mean, some of them got to empty the wagons
1: and uh, weigh the corn for the contest. And, I mean, it takes quite a crew just for that. Yeah, it takes 25, 30 people just to put it on a corn husky. Competition. uh, We try to get uh, FFA groups or 4-inch clubs to come and get the younger kids involved in volunteerism, uh, doing things around the museum. Yeah, I mean, just because
5: somebody's doing it doesn't mean they really look forward to doing it all day long after they've done it for half a day. It'd be nice if someone would take over for them so they could uh, watch
0: or even compete in the contest. Yeah, it's a good point. This is great again.
3: And also, not just work opportunities, you know, we're always open to somebody who wants to be on the board of directors and be involved in leadership and planning. More young people would be great. And anybody that's interested in that, we'd be more than willing to talk to and happy to have around.
0: Oh, that's great.
3: Uh, John, Jim? Yep. Earlier, a question you asked about uh, kind of record keeping or historical artifacts. That's something that a volunteer who had the interest in genealogy or uh, agricultural history, something along that line. I mean, we have a tremendous amount of books and references for equipment. Uh, we have history of Mills County or Mills County members, owners, things about past information about people here that could use a very good cleaning and organization to get it in order so that they could be eventually digitized and put on the internet.
0: Yeah, that sounds like the way to go. That would be a great collection for being online. And uh, some archivist or curator or historian would do well to dig into that.
1: We're all thumbs up here about
4: that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I imagine, hey, I'm sorry to interrupt, but it's time for our second break for a few minutes. Listeners, we'll be right back after these words.
6: the history of Southwest Iowa with the Indian Creek Historical Society located in your own hometown and nestled in the heart of Mills County. Bring your family, bring a friend, or just come on down to learn more about why they love Mills County, Iowa. And don't forget that they have a monthly breakfast for everyone. Donate, join, volunteer, and visit us today at 59256 380th Street, Hastings, Iowa. The website is www.indiancreekhs.com. You'll be glad you did. Hello, if you're craving a sense of accomplishment and self-respect then look no further than by helping yourself and your community by learning more about volunteering with the museums, historical, and genealogical societies in your area. It's important to find a source of information that keeps you up to date about these valuable societies. The right choice is a program that's done the research for you, and that's where Preservation Oaks comes in. Every episode presents you with an all-inclusive experience with one of our nation's museums, historical, and genealogical societies that we refer to as our Preservation Oaks. The wrong choice results in you just getting a short introduction to the organization and leaving you right where you started which is, not knowing enough to make that commitment to help yourself and your community by supporting a society. Listen to Preservation Oaks, providing a bi-weekly series of programs with a variety of museums, Historical and genealogical society guests. Rather than just giving you a too brief introduction to the society, we spend the time to have fun and give you the history and the stories behind the society. What valuable services they offer to their members and the public, how they provide value to the community, and most importantly, how you can get involved and help. On Preservation Oaks, you'll get all the information you need to accelerate and lock in your decision to volunteer, support, visit, and become a member. You'll be glad you did. Remember, you can always send us comments and suggestions to PreservationOaks at gmail.com.
3: This is Tom Spindler from the Norman Borlaug Heritage Foundation, and I love listening to Preservation Oaks on MicroStream Radio.
6: This is Stacy Gosling, the president of the Winnishik County Historical Society, and I enjoyed being a guest on the program. And now, back to Preservation Oaks.
0: Welcome back to Preservation Oaks. We're here today with Bill McGrew, President of the Board of Directors at the Indian Creek Historical Society located in Hastings, Iowa, and his colleagues, Jeff Christensen, Jim Shellhammer, and Rick Mayberry. We've learned so much, guys. It's been great talking with you. Thank you for the information you provided to our audience about your society, and welcome back.
5: Thank you. Welcome hey, Thanks, uh, We're at the
0: Great, I'm glad to hear that. Hey, what kind of things are available to do on your society's website?
3: This is Rich Sean. Unfortunately, at this time, our website, as Jim alluded to, is rather antiquated and a bit broken. We're working on a new one to where we will be able to do some things, be able to, to communicate with us on that new website, and you'll be able to see what's going on at the museum on it. in a more timely fashion than we're able to provide right now. My apologies on that. But we're working on it, and it's it's going, going to get
0: better. And it's going to be great, I'm sure. When do you expect that to be done?
3: I expect, I expect it in, in a couple, couple months.
0: months. Okay. Yeah, it takes a while. Besides Facebook, and I know you use Facebook, and you have a website that you're re- redoing, do you guys take videos at all and post them on YouTube or any of that? We have not done yeah. that. That's a
3: great, great idea, idea, though. We've, we've, done, uh, we've done, a done a couple videos. videos and they've been either on the web, the old website, which is not working, or uh, I know there's one up on Facebook. A couple of years ago, we had someone did a uh, drone of our Corn husky championship, and it was done by a local TV station, and I I captured that and posted that up on the website. As soon as we get the new, new website up, we'll have that available for people to view.
0: Oh, that's great. So the website's not functional or not completely functional at this point, what's the easiest method for members of the public to donate to the Society?
3: Um, I, mail would be to our, um, address.
0: So mail is the best way? Write a check, send it in the mail? That would be greatly appreciated. Okay. Let me give the contact information for the Society. Their website is www.IndianCreekHS.com. You can also find them on Facebook, Indian Creek Historical Society. You can mail them at 59256 380th Street, Hastings, Iowa 51540. And you can phone them at 712
3: 824 7730. Jim, let me reiterate There's Sarah and I do keep the Facebook Events page for the museum current. So any of your breakfasts, any of the big events we've got going on, we will have that posted in the events events page under our Facebook site.
0: Oh, that's great. Thank you for that. That's current. Now, I know we've talked about quite a few things. Can you tell the audience about any current initiatives or needs of the society that you want the people of your area and your members to know about and support?
5: Bill, you know, like we talked about earlier, our blacksmith shop is really starting to take off. We can always use more people interested in all the way from uh, actually working in it to just watching to if they have items they want to donate, you know, like bison and animals and such. So we still need more of that because uh, as a matter of fact... uh, If you don't mind me talking about it right now, later this fall in September, they're going to have what they call a, I don't know what they call a conference and such, but basically they hire somebody from, you know, quite a ways away that's considered an expert, like a TV expert, worthy-wise. And uh, people, other blacksmiths, pay a pretty hefty fee to come uh, come listen to this gentleman and learn from him for say two days and a night. And uh they just we just now, as of two days ago, built a new permanent brick brick forge that they lit a fire in last Sunday for the first time. But besides that, there's three or four other forges. So when this seminar comes around, uh like I say there'll be uh at least four different stations, each with a forge, a, a vice, an anvil, uh, whatever. In each station, there'll be two to three blacksmiths working at it, so they can kind of be working along as this, uh, you know, guru tries to tell them uh, how he would use such things. And uh, so, like I say, the blacksmith shops just really just starting to really take off. And uh, like for another example, we have a an old sawmill that was donated to us you know several years ago and we need somebody that's had experience with sawmills to kind of teach us you know where and how to set it up and how to use it in that uh, a lot of people like like watching them do it but uh we could sure use some help and advice on how to get that thing going too anyway like,
4: all right,
0: that's great. So you need some help standing up the sawmill and getting the it off.
5: We have the old one that was removed from the site. that person, a uh, fellow and his father used to run years ago. And, and But he's, you know, too elderly to really help us set it up now anyway. He had pictures in his mind, of course. But, but, but there is people around that do run sawmills and that. But, uh, we would really enjoy them. We, we need their help is what we need.
0: Yep, that sounds good.
5: It's open to the public, of course, anyway, but the main feature is the uh, blacksmiths that actually pay to come do it. But uh, the public's welcome to come watch,
0: too. All oh, that's great. That that will be a great thing. Folks, what are your thoughts about how best to keep history and community support flourishing for the current generation, the K-12 through kids?
3: Uh, this is Rick, and I guess my thoughts are we just need to keep this in front of
0: them you know we need to do
3: our events and have this stuff out there and get the young people here to look at it that's the only way they're going to get interested in it if we just leave it in these buildings shut up how are they ever going to know what's here or gain any interest in it so i guess we're just trying to keep it out there and show them how it works and hopefully the interest flowers from there and this is jeff and to get their hands on and get them
1: involved though. How the actual piece of equipment works, whether it's with horses or a piece of equipment or whatever, you know. See how, how it actually operates, moves, how it hooks up, or why they invented it to uh, do the jobs they did back then.
0: Can you guys give me your thoughts on why the society is important to your community and what makes your society different or unique from others?
5: You
4: know, we, we think we're a little
5: different. I'm sure there's other agricultural museums and that, but I don't think very many. You know, there's a lot for artwork and stuff like that. great, but as far as the actual early agricultural part of it, we think we're one of the few that have trying to preserve those ways and uh, knowledge and the equipment. This is Jim. I,
3: I will augment a little bit what Bill saying. In the area where we're at, which is you know the prairie area of the West, we have a lot of typical equipment that you probably don't find in many museums. Getting those in front of people is very important and letting them know that you know we're mainly an agriculture related museum and that's predominant. We don't do anything, you know, based solely on history or war or you know, anything that's untypical in other cities or town museums. We are out in the country and we like to hold events where we can bring out a piece of equipment and demonstrate it. And so keeping it in front of the people to see how it's going on and keeping that, that history alive is important to us.
0: Yep, well said Jim, thank you. Now you mentioned that people get free admission to the museum Free monthly Sunday breakfast, and you ask for a donation. You pay for membership, and you rent out the main museum building. Is there any other services that, you know, a member or a member of the public needs to pay for?
3: Uh, no, none that I come to buy right now.
0: That's really a valuable proposition because you can have a lot of fun. A
5: lot of people, they have guests come on holidays or vacation time or whatever. A lot of them just like to bring their guests to show them what we've got too, anyway. But we, like we've said we, we've got things that you don't, you know.
0: Like, You've got tractors and equipment that people can't see anywhere else.
5: Among a lot of other things, too, but yeah, but that's what we're probably most, that's what really started the museum was the tractors, but it's grown into much, much more.
0: Yep. Let me give the contact information real quick to listeners. So listeners, you can find Indian Creek Historical Society on the web at indiancreekhs.com. You can find them on Facebook, Indian Creek Historical Society. You can mail them at 59256 380th Street, Hastings, Iowa, 51540. And you can phone them at 712-824-7730. Uh,
4: yes, and
3: Sean, I don't think we mentioned our, our operating hours. Oh, go ahead. Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, 10 to 2, and Sunday, 12 to 4. And you know, we do our best to work with people, especially if they have a group that wanna come outside those hours. If you, you would either call the, museum, the museum's phone number during operating hours or reach out on Facebook, I know Bill tries his very best to be here for a group. If we're outside of our busy seasons, we'll really work with people.
5: Well we'll find someone to show them around.
0: That's great. Thank you.
5: And we, we enjoy having groups too, like uh, You know, nursing homes and such are big. We enjoy showing those folks around, too.
0: Oh, yeah, that would be great. Is there room for handicapped folks?
5: The main building is very handicapped accessible. The other machine says while they tend to have gravel floors because of our steel lug tractors, but you can still drive a scooter or golf cart around. We have a golf cart on on the grounds and that, but... uh, if, if they have their own uh, chair or scooter, they'll, they'll get along just fine.
0: Okay. Thank you for that. Reflecting just a bit, how do you think your members, volunteers, and the community view the society in terms of benefits and value?
3: Uh, this is Rick. Well, I think, I think they view us the very highly. highly, and I relate some stories back during COVID. You know, people were worried about how we were doing. Of course, we had to shut down our monthly breakfasts and some of our activities. And people would ask, how are you getting along, and when are you going to be able to do that again? And um, some people continued making donations, even though they weren't coming to the breakfast. So they were very interested in us getting started back up again and and concerned. And glad when we came back and were able to go back to operations as normal. Sean, this is Jim. I am outside Glenwood, and so I'm on the local Glenwood community site regularly, regularly, and... When breakfast time comes around, or events are happening, you you get I get a lot of posts out there. When when is it happening? So I I I back as soon as I hear give that question to people, and I get a lot of thank yous from people. And even though we're about fifteen minutes from Glenwood, we get a lot of people from there.
0: Oh, that's great. I'm glad you're getting compliments because you guys are doing a lot of great things for the community. I just love what you're doing, uh, especially the corn husking and all of the tractors and showing the blacksmithing. And it just sounds like a great community effort. And I wish you all the luck in the world. Thank you. So I want to thank you, Bill, Jeff, Jim, and Rick for spending time with us today. I've learned a lot, had a great time, and I'm really glad to meet you. It's just very inspiring seeing what you're doing at the Indian Creek Historical Society for the community, for your members. Um, Thank you very much.
4: Thank you. you,
0: I want to remind listeners that the monthly breakfast, the next monthly breakfast is on August 28th. And on September 17th, you want to put that on your calendar. That's the Corn Husking Championship and the Junk Fest, Southwest Iowa Junk Fest, uh, which sounds like a great time. And with that, we'll end our time with our guest Bill McGrew, President of the Board of Directors at the Indian Creek Historical Society and Museum. Listeners, please stay tuned for my comments and wrap up, which is coming up next.
6: You're listening to Preservation Oaks, where we celebrate the great work of historical and genealogical societies and give you the information you need to get involved and have fun doing it.
0: You're tuned in to Preservation Oaks. Stream us from wherever you get your podcasts. We're with you, anywhere you go.
6: And now, back to Preservation Oak.
0: welcome back. I need to apologize for the audio on this interview. It's not up to our normal standards. The engineers did their best to clean up the audio issues, but there's only so much they can do. I'm afraid the internet was working against us throughout the entire recording session. The society's leadership team wasn't able to carve out time to re-record before we needed to release the episode, and so it is what it is for this one anyways. In this episode, we learned about the history of the Society, the history of Mills County, and all about the Society's funding, their events, artifacts, and other details. The main thing we learned is how committed the Indian Creek Historical Society members are to the furtherance of the Society's mission and to the communities they serve. It was great chatting with Bill McGrew, Jim Shellhammer, Rick Mayberry, and Jeff Christensen. These are such great guys. If you're a listener in the area of southwest Iowa and you're not already a member of the Indian Creek Historical Society, please by all means sign up, support them, and volunteer. They really have a very unique museum and they sponsor great events for the community. They have agricultural equipment you can't find anywhere else, plus a one-room schoolhouse and a working blacksmith shop. Annually, they have corn boils, pork chop dinners, Iowa State corn husking contests, Southwest Iowa Junk Fest, and other worthwhile and fun events. They also have a breakfast for all the members and the community every single month, the last Sunday of the month. The Society promotes community spirit and acts as the glue that holds the community and their members together. The Society is very proud of the fact that nearly everything at the museum is free. There's no charge for anything except some of the incidentals for the events and, of course, membership. However, membership is a nominal fee of $10 per year for an individual and $15 for a family. That's a steal. For the events and the monthly breakfast, all they ask is for free will donations. I sincerely enjoyed chatting with these folks and learning more about the Society. By the way, the next community monthly breakfast is August 28th. The most pressing priorities of the society at this time are, number one, they need someone to help them stand up their sawmill. They have all the equipment, but they need someone with the experience to show them how to get it going. Number two, they need more people to volunteer. With all the events they have, they need volunteers to help them with the work of managing these events. There's an especially urgent need for volunteers for the Corn Husking Championship in the form of judges. They need people to do all kinds of things, but especially judges. They also made an appeal for anyone in Southwest Iowa who is good with genealogy or history to please help them organize, catalog, and digitize their large books and records collection. This would be very much appreciated and a fantastic challenge for someone with the right skills. If you can help the Society with any of these three priorities, please connect with them. By the way, the Society has a meeting hall and banquet facility with a full kitchen for rent for anyone in the area for meetings, wedding receptions, and other events. Please connect with the Society to schedule. Remember that this year's Iowa State Corn Husking Competition is on September 17th, and that corresponds with the Southwest Iowa Junk Fest, and the Volunteer Fire Department's Pork Chop Dinner. It's a big deal, and if I lived in the area, I wouldn't miss it for anything. Please connect with the Society and get yourselves down there. There's also plenty of things for kids to do. The Society is supported 100% by donations and volunteers. Please help support the Indian Creek Historical Society located in Hastings, Iowa, today. You folks in Southwest Iowa are surely lucky to have this fine society in your area. The contact information for the society is their website is www.indiancreekhs.com. You can find them on Facebook under Indian Creek Historical Society. Their mailing address is 59256 380th Street, Hastings, Iowa 51540. You can call them at 712 There were a thousand questions I could have asked during our time together, but I didn't in the interest of time. If questions occur to you and you'd like more information, please connect with the Society via the contact information provided in this program. If you're a listener in the area the Society serves and you're not already a member, please consider joining and supporting the Society. I hope this information helps the audience understand how valuable the society is to the community and what kinds of excellent services they have to offer to their members and the public. I can tell you without reservation that the Indian Creek Historical Society located in Hastings, Iowa is definitely and truly one of our nation's preservation oaks. Okay, that's a wrap for this episode. Music used today is from Scott Holmes and Simblebird and Chris Hagen. MicroStream Radio is a registered trademark. This broadcast is owned and copyrighted by MicroStream Radio. It cannot be rebroadcast, downloaded, copied, or used anywhere without the written permission of MicroStream Radio. Thanks to everyone for listening. This is Sean Thomas Radcliffe. See you all next time on Preservation Oaks.